here's, here's a life lesson. And what I'm going to share with you today are the things that Terry and I started incorporating in our lives and in our finances in the 1970s. We, we were exposed to this by one of the great men of faith and, and wisdom. And when he shared this, it just opened our eyes to what God intended us to do in the realm of money. As we talked about last week, the last thing the devil wants you to do is honor God with your money because he wants you to squander it. But here's the principle. Contentment and security rest in God, not in money. Now, they asked Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. But contentment and security is not going to be found in money. The, the writer of Proverbs 23 and verse 4, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heaven. Here's what I know. Most people I meet are stressed out over money. They're stressed out over their finances. There are people living beyond their means. There are people living on two incomes with no thought that somebody might get sick or there might be a baby or something might happen and you can't afford to live at the level that you, you're living with two incomes. There are people stressed out about it. There are some things that money can't fix. There are just some things in your life that money cannot fix. Doesn't matter what you have, it doesn't matter who you talk to, doesn't matter how big of a loan you can get, there are some things in your life that money cannot fix. And we are trapped with keeping up with the Joneses. And as I said last week, the Joneses have refinanced three times. And we're trying to keep up with them. So listen, to fail to listen to truth regarding money is just as damaging as failing to listen to your doctor or take your medicine. If you don't listen to God about money, then why are you listening to your doctor when he says take blood pressure medicine or take this or control your diabetes with this or do that or do that? Why listen to a doctor? If, if you're going to listen, if you will take the word of a doctor about the inside of your body and you will not take the word of God about the economy, then you're making some bad decisions. The world is, the word of God is rich in principles about giving. Now, I have a financial advisor. He just spoke. When I moved to Albany, I sat down with Tom Sanders and I said, okay, tell me how to plan my money. And he has helped me for 27 years. He's a good financial advisor. He's a smart guy. He sends me stuff in the mail and I look at it and I go, huh? Because I can't read it. I get those things. I can't read any of that stuff. I depend on him to read that stuff. But Although he gives me good advice, here's what I know Tom can't control. Tom can't control the stock market. Tom cannot control the price of oil or gas. Tom can't control interest rates. Tom cannot control natural disasters. What he can do is give me best guesses and best estimates on averages over a long period of time and then allow me to make decisions. Guess what? God controls all those things that my financial advisor can't control. Do, do you realize that God knew there was oil before we discovered it? I mean, when we discovered oil, God didn't say, my goodness, somebody get the angels. I've got an announcement to make. Man has discovered oil. 
It was there before we ever found it. Gold was in the ground before we ever found it. All the minerals were in the ground before we ever found them. God knew all the principles before we ever discovered them. All God has done is allow us to see what he has for us. So here's a question that I have to consider for myself. Do my lost and unchurched and self-centered neighbors get any indication by my choices, my decisions, and my priorities that I am committed to the advancement of the gospel? Would somebody looking at my life say, you know, I can tell by that person's choices and decisions they are committed to the advancement of the gospel. Is there any indication in my use of material possessions that I am related to and concerned about eternal things? In 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 12, it says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, what I'm going to do, and most of them are in your notes, I'm going to give you the principles that God taught Terry and I about money. This is not a health and wealth, prosperity, gospel message. This is a biblically based how we need to think, no matter whether you have a lot or a little. And what these do is they run counter to culture, but they run true to truth. Number one, it's in your note. God possesses and presides over all the wealth in this world and in the next. God possesses and presides over it all. He has the title deed. He's the creator. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He possesses it all. He presides over it all. For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. In other words, what I give, I got from God. God blessed me, and so when I give it, I'm just responding to the God who presides over it all. Now, the devil would like us to think that he presides over it all, that he controls it, but God presides over it all. God rules in two realms. He rules in time and in eternity. He rules in the seen, and he rules in the unseen. Number two, God wants his wealth in circulation. Now, let me give you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, the nature of God is to give. The nature of God is to give. Would you agree with me that God is a giving God? Okay, there are 12 of you. Would you agree with me that God is a giving God? He gives answers to prayer. He gives health. He gives friends. He gives a church. God is a giving God. It's his nature to give. For God so loved that he gave. So that leads to number two. Jesus was God in circulation. The wealth of God, the Son of God, his only Son, God put him in circulation and he stayed in circulation until he bought our salvation by his blood. God stays in circulation until he accomplishes what he wants. And so God wants his wealth in circulation. God's creation gives. The air gives. The sun gives. The rivers give. At the fall, Satan introduced a new plan. You should keep it all. You should control it all. In fact, 
Here's Satan's financial plan. It's what he said to Eve. Take what you want. You deserve it. You ought to have it. You ought to take it. I don't care what God said. And when we rob God of the ability to be used by him to keep wealth in circulation, then we are listening to the same voice that spoke in the Garden of Eden when it said, I don't care if God said that's off limits and you can't have it. You take it. You deserve it. You have a right to it. The scripture says we are stewards. So the steward is a manager of property. Now we can either be good stewards or bad stewards. But a steward is one that oversees another person's property. Jesus said that we are to be good stewards. A good steward lays up treasures in heaven. Point number three, the way to appropriate God's wealth is in giving. The way to appropriate God's wealth is in giving. Look at this verse from Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Let me tell you what that verse says. It says that giving is mutually beneficial. It benefits the kingdom of God and it benefits you. It's a benefit to the kingdom and it's a benefit to you. Number four. We are to give according to God's revelation. Now, what we're talking about with Meet the Need is not a fundraising program, okay? It's a life raising. It's not fundraising. It's about life. It's about learning to trust God on a higher level with what God gives you. It's learning to give yourself to God. It's learning to be available to God. Uh, I, I was in a business this week and as I was leaving the business, I, I knew that this person was giving some gift cards to people in the community to buy oil for chainsaws and things like that. So I paid for the services rendered. And then I took every other dollar out of my wallet and I said, go get gift cards for people. You see, I'm not accountable for the money. I'm accountable for what I do with it. I'm accountable if I listen to God. And I mean, it was as clear as a bell to me, go give it. And so I said, here's the payment for services rendered. Here's for gift cards. Now, I don't get a tax write-off for doing that. I won't get a receipt for doing that. What I did was I understood that we give by revelation. Now, some people give by reason. And here's, here's what giving by reason means. Giving by reason means I get my paycheck and I look at it and say, okay, now, my house payment comes out of this, my car payment comes out of this, my credit card payment comes out of this, my groceries come out of this, and I got this much discretionary income. And that's giving by reason. Just looking at your discretionary income. God wants you to look at the big picture. He wants you to look at all of it. You see, if I, if I give by reason, then I'll approach something like meet the need, and I'll say, uh, uh, Lord, I, I, I feel good about giving $5 a week. And if the peace of God and the Spirit of God doesn't move in your life, you're still operating by reason. Well, Lord, I'll give $10 a week. I, I'll give $100 a week. If the peace of God and the Spirit of God is not moving in your life, then you're still operating by reason. You're trying to negotiate a deal with God. 
instead of listening to God and seeing what he has to say to you. So you either give by reason or you give by revelation. Revelation is, God, what do you want me to give? Now, I want to tell you what God's going to say to you. He's going to say something to you that is beyond your mental capacity to figure out. Why? Because he wants you to live by faith and not by feelings and not by sight. So God's going to say something that, that you can't figure out. And your first thought is going to be, there is no way in the world. I must have eaten some bad Mexican food to come up with that idea. But it's giving by revelation. It is, you see, giving by reason is according to what I think I can afford to do. Giving by revelation is giving out of God's resources. Listen, if God tells you to do something, he's going to provide the resources for you to do that. I can't tell you how many times in our life God has shown up and Checks have come from somewhere or a gift or a speaking engagement or something has come up and God said, I've just made a way for you to do what I ask you to do. I've just provided the funds and the resources for you to do what I've asked you to do. Revelation is seeking the Lord. Not what can I afford, but what does God want me to do? That's why we're asking you to hold the pledge cards because unless you've been praying all week about what you need to do today, you're probably operating out of reason and not out of revelation. You give in obedience to God's word. Now, God tested Terry and I on that in some big ways. Uh, back, back in the uh, early 80s, I got fired in a church that I was a youth pastor in, which was one of the signs I needed to get out of youth pastor. Uh, I, I was fired from this church, and... In the three or four weeks, I was headed to, to Roswell Street. In the three or four weeks between when I got fired and when we went there, we got money from people from around the country that did not know that I didn't have a job. And we got notes like this. God laid on my heart that I needed to send you $100. And can I tell you something? We made more money the three weeks we were fired than we made in the weeks we were employed. You say, well, you must have put out a fleece or something. I didn't put out anything. What God did is he whispered in the hearts of people that understand the principle that God wants his money in circulation and God operates in the realm of giving. And he said, Michael and Terry Cat need something. You need to send it to him and you just trust me with it. And so I'd go to the mailbox and I'd see an envelope from somebody I hadn't heard from, people I didn't even get a Christmas card from, from former churches and other places that just sent money. I can't explain it except God did it. So when we started Future Generations, which was the campaign we had before Meet the Need, we're always raising money for something. When we started Future Generations, Terry and I had come up with a figure. We, we kind of had a figure. We knew what we were going to do. So we went to this big banquet, and, you know, that was a fundraising company. They said, now, Pastor, you're going to need to announce how much you're going to give so it can challenge everybody else. Well, what you do is up to you and the Lord, you know. And I, I was a little uncomfortable with that, but I felt like, well, you know, we're going to give a good amount over three years. And so here's, here's our three-year amount. And while we were sitting there, in the old fellowship hall, which is now the atrium, while we were sitting there, God spoke to my heart and said, 
that's not enough. And I looked at Terry and I said, I think I know what God wants us to do. Now, my dad had died about a year before. And my financial advisor had helped me to decide what to do with their very, 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 very small estate. And when God told me what to give, I realized it was giving back my first year's salary to this church for future generations. My first year's salary. And you know what that meant? That meant that 30% of my dad's estate went to build buildings at this church out of obedience to God. Now, my dad didn't leave a will where I could find it. So on top of that, I paid $60,000 out of his estate in taxes that I shouldn't have had to pay because my dad hid his will inside the frame of his college diploma, which everybody would go and look for their dad's will inside the frame of a college diploma. I mean, that'd be the first place you'd look for something. Not in, the, not in the safe, not in the safety deposit box, behind the diploma. And I found it when it was too late to refile the taxes. So the United States government is not in debt because of me, because I gave them money they didn't deserve. And God provided. Let me tell you what God did. The taxes and the gift of future generations and the rest of it went to pay for my two girls to go to private school and college for four years each. And then it was gone. There's nothing left. But you know what? God provided what I needed. What did God do? He provided the money for my girls to go to college he provided the money for me to support this church in a substantial way. And he provided the government with some money which they didn't deserve. <laughs> which means I just believe in grace beyond measure. <laughs> so here's how you think about money God's entrusted you with. Number one, God knows the need. God knows what the need is. This is not going to come up on the screen. God knows the need. The question is, are you praying about that need? What's your part in that need? God knows it. Are you praying about it? Secondly, God knows how much is available through you and through me. God knows what our resources are. God knows what our lid is. God knows where we are. God knows how much is available. Is your answer yes to whatever God says? Thirdly, God delights in letting me know what he wants me to do. Whether that's witnessing to somebody or giving or serving or whatever, how to use my spiritual gift, whatever it is, God delights in letting me know what I'm supposed to do. And fourthly, God enables me to do what he calls me to do. Not only does God delight in telling me what he wants me to do, he enables me to do what he tells me to do. So this kind of giving glorifies God and allows me to grow in my capacity to believe God for the impossible. This kind of giving, if, if I give by revelation, 
knowing that God wants it in circulation and God is at his core a giver. If I do that, then that kind of giving glorifies God and allows me to grow in capacity to believe God for the impossible. Number five, it is advantageous to give God's way. It is advantageous to give God's way. Look at this verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Two principles, they're very simple. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. You want God to bless? Then act in a way that he can bless. Respond in a way that he can bless. Obey in a way that he can bless. Pray in a way that he can bless. If I sow bountifully, I reap bountifully. Now you say, well, does that mean I'm going to get more money? Maybe, maybe not. What it means is God's got your back. And God is watching over you. And God is taking care of you. He just wants you to trust him in the process. Winston Churchill said, we make a living through what we get. We make a life through what we give. Last principle, God loves a hilarious giver. Paul says in Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. I will submit to you, he will accept it from a grouch. But he loves a cheerful giver. I mean, I, I love to give. It is just something that God has put inside of me. I grew up poor. The house I grew up in was 800 square feet with no air conditioning. And some nights we'd sleep on the porch just to get, try to get a breeze in the humidity of the Gulf Coast. My dad lost his business the last, at the peak earning years of my dad's life as a pharmacist. And if you've got any idea what pharmacists make today, as a pharmacist at the peak earning years of my dad's life, he was making $150 a week. The people he worked for had two and three houses. He made $150 a week. He gave 30% of his income away every year. When his business was going under, he was giving 30% of his income to his church. So what did God do? God met his needs. When he was in the hospital that last time in his life, and I didn't know how we were going to pay for all of that, my dad had figured out how to buy an additional policy, and with all of his heart conditions and everything else, when I went to the hospital in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and said, all right, how do I need to settle up this bill? They said, Mr. Cat, your dad provided for this. You owe the hospital $129. That's all you owe. Heart surgeries, pacemakers, all of it. You owe the hospital $129. Because he was smart about the way he did things with the little that he had. So let me, let me give you this tombstone that uh, is in a cemetery in another state. What I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. What I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. Now, we're going to take our offering in a minute. If you know anything about what's happened in this town the last few weeks, we've already started out behind the eight ball with our regular offering. 
but we're going to take an offering in a few minutes. I want to show you the evidence because I wrote this message before the storm ever hit on January 2nd. I want to show you how God honors his word, okay? You ready? Are you ready? This way means yes. This way. Are you ready? Okay, so same day, same day, I get two envelopes. I've got them in one. This is guy from an, a, a guy named David. He's in Manistique, Michigan. I do not know a David. I don't know a David in Michigan, much less in a town I can't pronounce, but I've got his name and his address. So I get this letter from David. I don't know him. He's never been here. Dear Pastor Cap, this is January 4th. Dear Pastor Cap, enclosed is $7 to help with the relief effort. It is the best I am able to do at the moment, but I believe you will put it to the best use as is needed. Albany will be in our prayers and in our hearts as the cleanup and rebuilding goes forward. May God bless you. This is a guy that's never been here. We won't meet him until eternity. I wonder what God's going to do with $7 in circulation. You know one thing he can do? He can buy enough oil to keep a chainsaw going for a few days with $7. He can buy some gas, putting a chainsaw for $7. Then I got another one. This is from the Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia, where David Joyner is on staff, who was our children's minister. They took up an offering. Stephen Kendrick speak, spoke for them on a Wednesday night, and then uh, uh, on the Wednesday night after the storm, and then they took up an offering Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now, these are people in a church that have their own needs. This is God's principle of keeping money in circulation. This is a check to Sherwood Baptist Church for disaster relief for $3,395. I just want to ask you something before I pray and we take the offering. Some guy named David understands God's economy. He understands having God's money in circulation. He understands that God loves a giver. And all he had was $7. But he gave what he had. I want to ask you, in a church blessed as much as we are blessed, with God's protection as much as we have been protected. And all the evidences of the way he uses this church to the glory of God, not only in this community, but around the world. Why would anybody not want to get in on God's planet economy? Start with God. He'll tell you what you need to do. Let's pray together and then we're going to take our offering. Father, I thank you for the privilege of giving. I thank you for David Joyner for leading Prince Avenue to give sacrificially. I thank you for a guy named David who had $7. I thank you for the widow's might in this church. And I thank you for the obedience of people that have given us the ability to exceed our pledges this year and free up money and cut down on years so that we can be flexible to do ministry going forward. 
God, put on our heart to do something that cannot be explained. Put on our heart.